0: Hi, my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. That's right. And I have big news for my friend Brendan. I finally got a Nintendo Switch. Which Joy-Con colors did you get? Neon? You got the neon ones. I, I did, did. I did not. When the day the Switch came out, I was like, I'm gonna, I did not pre-order this thing. I'm going to go get one. And I was just like like a like a rat in the garbage, like trying to find whatever Nintendo Switch console I could find. And I didn't get the neon one, and now I regret it. So I'm very happy for you because the neon, I feel like, is the Switch.
1: It does feel like the default option. Like I don't know what else I would even bother settling for, really. Yeah. Um, I also just I had the same thing with uh, uh my PS4. I got like a bright red controller for some reason. Mm. Um, and I and I did not regret it. It's yeah got a, got a nice brand
0: i have uh for the ps4 controller i have the the like see-through one uh oh, it's so good i want that i want that vibe to come back like the like the see-through purple game boy i was about to say that reminds me of like game boy advance like
1: <sighs> summer of 2001 yeah like, <laughs> ska was big you know like, it was just, <laughs> that was the life baby yeah what do you what do you think of the switch i mean how long have you had it at this point <sighs> it is it is so good It's been a while since I I feel like like I love the PS4, but when I got the PS4, I felt like I was catching up. Like I felt like I was okay. Now I can play all these games that I couldn't have played before. Um, But I didn't have that like euphoria, if that's the right word, of a new system. Mm -hmm. And the Switch feels like a new experience. I got it like two weeks ago, and my friend was visiting from out of town. and uh i i originally just had zelda because i figured i'm like if i'm gonna have one game for like the beginning that's probably like the best to start with definitely um and we were hanging out and and we were switching off playing and it was a lot of fun then he was like okay i'm gonna go to bed and i'm like okay sick and then i took the switch into my room which is kind of like this is a system that's marketed as like you can take this anywhere and like the best experience I've had so far with doing that is just like moving to a room after I'm no longer wanted in another one, (laughs) but it's perfect. Like it's kind of the dream where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna and and uh, playing it on, on the, you know, mobile version of it is really, really cool. The battery life is a little, uh, depending on what you play, like Zelda lasts only like a few hours. And that's a game where like three hours just whizzes by because oh, you're yeah. like, I want to cook for an hour. I want to <laughs> uh, take selfies for an hour. I want to raise horses for an hour. That's that's how I play at least. Yeah. But I, I love it. I have a few games now and I definitely want to talk about uh, all of them, but I am so happy I got this system because I feel like I didn't have a Wii U and I felt Nintendo becoming an estranged childhood friend and now we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Things are better than ever.
0: So I, I think like before we even talk about any any games that either of us are playing on the thing, I'm I'm kind of curious about how you're playing on it. Like, do you find yourself playing more handheld or docked? And also, do you find this is the the thing that I found most surprising. Do you find yourself playing more because you're able to switch from one to the other? That is a really interesting question. I feel like I've ended up playing a lot of handheld
1: for some reason. Mm I'm not exactly sure why I guess it's because that's sort of the selling point of the system. And that kind of is what differentiates it from other current gen systems that it's that option is available. Yeah. So I feel like at least in this sort of like honeymoon phase, I feel like I'm using that as much as possible just to see how well it works. Right. I am definitely playing more than I would
0: have (laughs) because I think
1: like there's this surreal thing where it's like, okay, I'm done playing like here. I'm going to go to sleep. And then, like, an hour of, like, handheld playing happens Mm -hmm. by accident. So, yeah, uh, definitely a lot of handheld. But I've also been playing a lot of a game that I think works on handheld. I think Zelda ultimately works better on TV. But, like, the novelty of having it available on the go is really, really cool. Especially for a game like that, which is so
0: so much about, like, exploring and, you know, like, going anywhere. Yeah, I, I find myself playing the Switch significantly more than I would have normally just because I can say, like, okay, I I am tired of sitting on this couch and playing this thing. And then I just take the thing out of the dock and then, like you said, either bring it into my bedroom and like play on the bed or literally just lie down on the couch. And then display it in handheld <laughs> on the same couch. A- and then I get tired of that. And then I put it back on the TV. It's unbelievable. And This
1: is this is making us sound really lazy, but like it really is like the definitive experience. Yeah, like, it really is. I would love to take this thing on the beach or camping, but so far this is what's happening. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I do find myself kind of defaulting to, to docked TV mode more than usual. I think there are sure. some games that work really, really well in handheld mode. Yeah. And, and some that I think are better in, in docked mode. But I do always play handheld whenever I bring it other places like I I think for me, the handheld ideal of the switch has always been like I'm visiting my friends for the weekend or something and I'm just going to like pack it with me. So I'll just like play it before I go to sleep or something. Right. So that's really nice. But I, I find like Zelda I played mostly docked. Uh, Mario for some reason I played almost exclusively handheld I don't know why but that game just felt (laughs) better handheld to me interesting luminous which I was excited about playing handheld I find myself playing on the TV all the time uh, because I can like plug it into my like good ass sound system uh, and, and that music is just unbelievable Octopath Traveler which is a game that both of us are playing is One that I started playing docked basically exclusively just because I thought it was going to be good docked. And then you messaged me and you were like, I've been playing this handheld. And then I tried it in handheld mode. And now that is all I do.
1: Yeah. It almost feels like it's made for handhelds because I mean, for a lot of reasons. um, And that's a game we're going to get more into because there's a lot to talk about there. I I want to give this to you first because you're not as well versed with JRPGs, never mind the sort of like retro era of them, like on yeah. Super Nintendo. So I I love the game. I have a lot to say about it. Um, But overall, I've been playing it an absurd amount and I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah. But I, I couldn't shake the feeling that I'm like, this feels like it was tailor made to a very specific audience. Mm hmm. And being that you're new to this sort of genre, I, I wanted to know like how you're experiencing it.
0: I, I guess just like on the outset, Octopath Traveler, it's a, a game that just got released by Square Enix. I think it's a Switch exclusive. It is a Switch exclusive. It is, yeah. And it is essentially you create a party of four people out of eight people, hence Octo, of Octopath. Um, and you just kind of make your way around this map and, and collect the eight people over time and then play through each of them which have their own individual stories uh, which don't really overlap with one another as far as i can tell uh it is just like you're playing out each story individually and it is like a very classic ass jrpg very beautiful very beautiful it kind of has like a toy box aesthetic to it it does it feels like there's like a you're playing on like a cardboard cutout set almost yeah yeah uh really really heavy depth of field effect it almost looks like tilt shift um it is that was actually the kind of the selling point for me was just like I kept seeing screenshots of it and not seeing it in action I didn't I wasn't seeing it move uh in the first gameplay video that I watched of like actually moving through that environment I was like oh my god I have to play that yeah that was that was the reason I did it and it's interesting too because I feel like this this game has been selling insanely well and
1: yeah. that's really cool to hear because I feel like I, I I feel like they have proven that this Art direction is like still a appealing style because it's interesting because this is how games looked at that time you know back in the 90s because that was the extent of the hardware yeah and now it's like a purposeful decision and it's still like appealing
0: yeah I I, they do some really smart things in terms of like you know so they they have like these kind of painterly worlds but they kind of look pixel arty but Mm -hmm. you're moving around them but I I think the the more interesting thing is you have um, like actual realistic water physics happening. The like yeah. sand and snow effects and like the way the wind blows through the trees, even though they're like pixel art trees, like they kind of bend and shift with the wind. Like there are kind of very realistic elements happening within this like painterly pixel art world. I think sure. it's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful game.
1: Yeah. And while we're talking about just the like the masterful production of it, the the soundtrack to me is almost what stands above the rest. Like Unbelievable. it is so and I mean, there's a pretty high standard for square RPG soundtracks. Like Yeah every game even if i'm not as into the game has a beautiful soundtrack
0: yeah i'm just waiting with bated breath for that thing to be on spotify because all i want to do is like drive around and listen to it
1: yeah for real and uh one thing that i that i'll go into i I have so many thoughts that i want to kind of characterize them uh to not just like spill all over the place Uh, in terms of the art direction what i really really love what stands out to me in this game above others because aesthetically this definitely looks the most like final fantasy 6 chrono trigger mm-hmm. that golden age of of jrpgs is right. heavily emulated here and one of the things i loved about final fantasy 6 in particular is that the main party your heroes are these like you know sprites they're very like simple and and cute looking and then the enemies are these like super realistic gr- <laughs> grotesque
0: like paintings of horror
1: yeah and it's so immediately alienating and an they're huge way. they're like and they're huge they're like three yeah.
0: times the size of your characters always um,
1: what stood out was i'm not sure if you've done all the first chapters but the huntress's first boss is this like drooling demon oh man um, i have not gotten is, there yet It is so awesome and just visually right away like it's so effective in creating a sense of horror for a boss Um, and also a sense of like uh, allegiance to your heroes because like you know they they are immediately appealing and the bosses are immediately like alienating right Um, it reminds me a lot I don't know if you've ever read uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics no I haven't I'd highly recommend it it's it's a comic about like what makes comics their own art form, but it touches on a lot of like just art in general. And one of the things they, he tracks a lot of like tools and patterns in comics and an animation, you know, obviously like with a character that has sort of a round, simple design, like we as a viewer are immediately more attached to it. like Mickey Mouse is the like ultimate example, mm-hmm. you know, round, simple features. Like we immediately kind of like, Feel like okay with him, you know, yeah. <laughs> or like uh Mario too is a perfect example. But the minute you make things look too real or too human, you kind of hit that uncanny valley, and they become sort of like a cognitive other. Oh, where like you feel like yes, with something that's like like a smiley face, you you see yourself in that unconsciously because it's so simple and like it's almost like a blank canvas for you to put yourself on. And then something that's like too detailed, you see it as something else. Uh, And that with the sprite art for the characters and the enemies is like to a T that philosophy, I feel.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. So so I I just to the idea is that because the enemies are so detailed and so grotesque, they seem almost more like enemies. And and that's why they kept your heroes as like little tiny sprite people. Yeah, exactly. And they also seem powerful, too, because they're so much bigger
1: than than the party. And I think that that's done a lot and the game also seems to have like i could definitely see someone newer to the genre feeling a little burnt out like halfway through doing all the chapter ones because it does get a little repetitive even with the bosses mm. um but it's kind of there to teach you the basics because then when you get to chapter two they add like a whole other layer to things yeah that is really really cool it's worth noting that uh you know as we're kind of like just drooling over the the art direction and the soundtrack um the combat is one of like i've played a lot of jrpgs and this is one of the best turn-based combat experiences i've like had ever
0: yeah which is a saying a lot but before we get into like heavy mechanics i just i i have played a lot of jrpgs or i've tried to play a lot of jrpgs in the past and none of them have really stuck for me basically ever uh with, (laughs) with the exception of persona 4 golden uh, which I loved, uh, yeah. and Persona 5, both of which I loved specifically for the art direction. I did not really enjoy playing those games as much as I really enjoyed just, like, the visual feast that I was getting. You sure. know, Five is obviously, like, far and away one of the most interesting, stylish games from, like, a UI yeah. and, and, like, environment perspective. And then four was just, like, the novelty of having it on the Vita, I think, was unbelievable. Right. And the only other game that I've actually really put some time into is Final Fantasy 10 was like that was one of the ones that kind of got me to play a kind of decent amount. And I was trying to figure out because we kept talking about it as you got it. And and I was playing it. I was trying to figure out, like, why am I playing Octopath? And I'm not as into the other games that I've tried in the past, like because I've tried Chrono Trigger. I've tried earlier Final Fantasy games um, and just kind of none of them really worked for me. And I honestly think the thing besides the art direction and the music, the thing that is sticking with me and the thing that is getting me to continue playing it weirdly are the stories, the individual stories I think is a kind of brilliant way of subverting that genre uh, in a really cool way. Cause I I think I was kind of burnt out and this is not just JRPG. It's just all video games. I was just burnt out on like the, there's this ultimate evil and you are the chosen one who is going to vanquish that evil. I think the fact that I can break up my game time Between saying like, I'm going to invest some time into either recruiting this person or just going down their path. And like they each have very understandable, relatable goals. They all have like really interesting quest lines and really, really interesting, like motivations that they're trying to tackle. I think that's like a really compelling and cool way of making it so you don't get burnt out on that game really at all. Cause it's like, okay, I'm, I'm done playing, uh, the Huntress's thing. Let me move over and like pick up this warrior guy. Uh, actually that's maybe a bad example cause they're basically the same. Uh, but like, <laughs> let, let me like go do the apothecary quest line where like he actually just wants to make cool ass medicine and help people. You he's know, he's my
1: favorite. He's my favorite, uh, of the, of the group.
0: Yeah. I, I think that is like a really interesting thing. And that is what keeps me playing that game. That's a great
1: point. And Originally, I just assumed that like, okay, we're going to get eight introductions and they're all going to like come together in some way. And there are definitely recurring elements throughout that hint at like a bigger antagonist, if you will. Um, Not like a central like Sephiroth or anything, but just like a lot of a lot of people in dark robes are kind of hanging out in it um the writing is a little bit uneven so i think that while the eight characters are all kind of really conceptually appealing and i think the characters themselves are all really likable yeah i've now done everyone's chapter one and i've done like half of the second chapters Mm. and i definitely like veer between being like, oh, this is like actually a good story, to like, okay, like we can we can skip through this part. (laughs) Um but I also enjoy the the variety. And I think that something that's coming abundantly clear as I play it is that it's hard to to really pinpoint without having played it yourself. But you know there's a lot of abilities the characters have out of combat to um with townspeople. So like you can uh some characters can like talk to townspeople and get to know them better. And there's like literally a backstory for every townsperson. Yes. Um, which is insane. Like that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then you could also like challenge townspeople to duels. You can also steal from them. You can buy things from them. Uh, and you can also uh the dancer and the cleric can through either guidance or flirting, essentially can uh, get townspeople to join the party temporarily as summons. And some of the townspeople are amazing. (laughs) There's (laughs) there's, like this really benign merchant in uh, Tress's hometown who's just like, there to recommend you buy like health potions before you leave or healing grapes sorry yeah uh, and then if you like ever join the party she's like secretly this omnipotent like mage uh oh my god but what that does as I'm playing it and, and in a lot of the side quests which are simple but they drill this point even more is that there's this subtext of like just helping people for the sake of it. And like that being the main plot that like, yes, you can't do this alone, even though you have your own worries and your own problems like you need to help each other. And there are some characters where that like the apothecary, which is why he's one of my favorites. That's his main incentive is he's like, I'm just here to help people. Same right. with uh, the cleric and and a few others. I started as the dancer who has, like, by far the darkest storyline. And it's kind of surreal to start as her.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine starting the game with that one. Because I started with Tressa, who is the merchant, which is just like this, this like, wistful uh, seaside town where she just wants to be, like, a good merchant. Like, that's her drive. Yeah, it's very, like, Kiki's delivery service. Yeah, Tressa's is actually, so I've done her first
1: two chapters, and her story to me is the most consistent. Because, like, Mm -hmm. she is a really, like, I really liked her whole battle with the pirates and, like like yeah you know she's just a really likable character um i could see her being a good protagonist and that's a cool thing too that like it doesn't super matter who you choose first because all it really does is it locks them into your party for most of the game which is a big commitment but you eventually unlock the ability to multi-class so you can kind of experiment with characters to like make them useful beyond their original intent which is really cool i can talk more about that later but uh it does kind of like who you choose first does sort of set the tone right away and yeah <laughs> primrose the dancer story is like i thought the game was rated m for a second because it was so they like it like right away is like we're dealing with human trafficking and like a like tarantino-esque revenge story
0: yeah was that you that mentioned that it was kill bill yeah like especially with her her theme is
1: awesome and like the way yeah. her theme plays out at the end of the chapter is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one could definitely talk about like how well it handles these really serious themes. Cause like it, it doesn't really, or I shouldn't say it doesn't, but
0: like, it's so jarring uh, yeah. compared
1: to the rest of the chapters.
0: Yeah. Um, I did find myself like while playing through it thinking like, uh, this is kind of gross you know yeah
1: but i have to say like in terms of the first chapter bosses i've never been more determined to like it felt like in persona 5 or like seriously they yeah. build up these horrible villains that you're just like i can't wait like that horrible gym teacher in, in the in the beginning of persona 5 like, i just can't wait to kick this guy's ass yeah like, exactly and and primrose's chapter had that so like i definitely am rooting for her all the way so i think she works well as a main character in my story yeah but i can definitely see like I wonder what's more jarring, either starting as her or like finding her after doing like Tressa or uh, the cleric's story. It's like, wow, (laughs) it was (laughs)
0: unbelievable. So just uh, to to fill people in, Tressa's story is like uh, she is the daughter of these two people who run a shop in like a seaside town. uh, And she's like her whole drive is I just want to be a good merchant and she's like very fun and bubbly and like just a good time all around and like you go and you fight like stupid drunk pirates Uh, and it's just like a very goofy storyline and I immediately after that went to Primrose who is a person who watched her parents get murdered in front of her and then immediately goes uh, on like a worldwide hunt to find the people that murdered her parents uh, and ends up as a dancer in like a human trafficking circle. Because she knows that the place where she dances is a place where the people who murdered her parents sometimes go. So she's like, I'm going to stay here as long as it takes for those people to show up. Yeah. And her like
1: her caretaker is this like cartoonishly evil Dickensian villain that like is just the worst person ever. And I loved killing him. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it is. It is emotional whiplash for real it really is it really is and i can i can definitely see conversations about like why this was included it almost feels like the stories were written by eight writers in separate rooms and like Mm. you know um especially because they don't really come together although like i know that there are no spoilers but i know that there is some type of like once you've done everyone's story there is like a final dungeon but um That has only surfaced in news because a lot of reviewers have been like, where's the ending? And there (laughs) is one apparently, but it's like hard to find. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. So I'm again, it's it's a long game. So I think like I I'm loving it. I really, really enjoy it. But I also recognize that it's like totally up my alley. Yeah, I just I, I do think even though I enjoy the. uh the breaking of tradition of like, you are all the chosen one. There's one big evil guy with the crystals who's going to destroy the world mm-hmm. plot. I do think that if the writing was even a little better or at least more consistent, this would be like a modern day classic. Yeah. Whereas I think it's a really, really strong uh revisit of an old genre that kind of proves that like you can still make this game today and it will have a place.
0: Yeah, so I I, I was trying to... When the game came out, there were kind of mixed reviews uh, floating around. Some some people were like, where's the ending? Which it turns out there is one. It's just like they didn't know when they sent the review copies out. uh, Or like (laughs) a lot of the reviewers who had to like fly through the game, you know, in a couple days just didn't know that it was there. Uh, Some of the other complaints that I've seen are that it doesn't have that like kind of big bad thing going on. And that it is just the eight individual stories, which I personally again see as a strength and some people say that the game is kind of grindy which i also don't really have a problem with because i fi- what i found myself doing at least is if i'm under leveled for an area i will just make my way to another town before doing someone's storyline just so i can level up unlock that fast travel point and then go back and play the play that person's chapter one yeah which is sick it's only grindy if you want to
1: go right to someone's next chapter because right. like the uh for the listener like the chapter the first chapters you can do in any order and they'll scale to what level you're at but then after that there's like a recommended level for each uh next chapter which is just like on another point in the map you can get to um and usually it's like 20 levels ahead so yeah it it works out mathematically that if you're playing at a normal pace and you do all the first chapters you'll be around that level for the next ones But if you were like, man, I really liked, you know, Tress's second chapter. I'd love to do the next one. It's like level 40. It's like, okay, well, yeah, uh, so that's where it can get grindy or um, uh, the multi-classing system, which I don't know if you've found yet. I have not. So around the map, there are these hidden shrines that contain uh, all the different jobs that the characters are. And then what you can do is you can equip a subclass. Uh, Each character can have one subclass. And if a character is that subclass, that's not accessible to the other characters. Oh, interesting. And what it does is it gives that character access to the weapons of the class they have equipped in addition to their own and access to both skills. That's incredible. Which is amazing. It also changes up their outfit, which is awesome. That's what I'm in for. Uh, Hell yeah. Because dancer Cyrus, you know I'm there. (laughs) Uh, So Cyrus, I made a dancer because... The in addition to all of that, to the access of the other skills and the weapons, as you know, as you level up skills, you unlock support skills, which are like passive bonuses. Yes,
0: which I'm always surprised by. Every time I unlock one, I'm like, "Wow, that is a really, really good bone." Like I'm always, they feel so generous. Now, what's
1: great about that is that as you subclass, you unlock those additional. Uh, passive bonuses now you can only have four equipped but then suddenly you have to choose from two classes uh support skills and if you are just you can switch around the jobs as you have them mm-hmm. so like if you're like i want a multi-class like right now i have um cyrus as a dancer because i wanted him to get the dancer gets a support skill where they every turn just regain sp Yeah. Um, So I want him to have that. And then I'm going to probably make him like a cleric or something, but he'll still have that dancer support skill. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that great? So basically in short, when you have a subclass equipped, you only have access to their main class and that class's skills and weapons, but you always keep whatever support uh, skills you have equipped. So that's where it leads to some really creative experimentation of like, You know, because the apothecary has a support skill where he just gives you another 500 health, which is, like, awesome. Oh, that's (laughs) sick. I didn't know You might just be like, okay, I'm going to make everyone an apothecary for a hot minute just to give everyone that and then switch them around. So I really like, I like that, A, it leads to some really creative experimentation that lets you customize your party. And, B, it still retains who these characters are at their core. Like, you don't lose that sense of, like primrose is a dancer uh cyrus is a scholar um yeah. even though they changed their outfits which is hilarious but i you know i digress
0: yeah what, what i find really compelling about this game too is like the rate at which they are unveiling these kinds of mechanical complexities is like slow enough that they don't feel jarring or or kind of daunting in any way like oh yeah it's kind of it's kind of unfurling at a pace that i can keep up with as someone who is not very well versed in the genre it's brilliant can we can we talk about combat because i think combat is 100 like percent
1: stellar yeah it's so and that's because that's the thing too is like the core gameplay is also like very intricate like there's a lot going on i have not run from a single battle yeah at all and that's the thing because like grindy has had negative connotations in rpgs because usually the combat is like a placeholder like yeah as much as i love final fantasy 6 and the combat is fun Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near as like, gratifying as as this game's combat. Yeah. Um you're playing ff6 for the ensemble and the story and the world, but you're playing this game like to get into fights. <laughs> yeah. And uh and it's interesting you bring up that the other RPGs you enjoyed were uh the Persona games because there's definitely a little bit of that here in terms of like exploiting an enemy's weakness to like just dump on damage to them. Yeah. Also, a little bit of Fire Emblem, if people are familiar with that. But basically, Mm -hmm. every enemy has, like, a set number of weaknesses. Uh, It will do a bit more damage, but more importantly, it breaks their guard, and they have, like, a shield count next to their uh, list of weaknesses under their character sprite.
0: Right. So, there might be, like, a big, like, warrior frog who has, like, three shield points or whatever, and you don't know what their weaknesses are. So... The idea is with all of your characters, you have to use their different abilities and their different weapons to try and figure out which of their abilities or weapons is the thing that's going to be able to break their shield. And when you do that, any damage you do to them after that has a multiplier on it. And also they lose their turn. So
1: what I love about this, too, is it shows the turn order, which I think every turn based game should do. Yes. So you can actually be like, okay, who's going next? I want to break their shield to like make them lose a turn. Um, On top of all of that, you know, you have your traditional HP and SP, which is MP as Mm -hmm. well, or it's parallel to MP. Then there's BP, which is kind of like what Bravely Default had, where uh, each round you gain one point and you can use that to attack twice or up to four times, actually. Yeah. Um, Or it makes your move more powerful. So there's a nice there's an interesting meta strategy of like, do I want to use all my BP now to like break their shields or do I want to like save it for when their shields are broken and then I can just do like a mega powerful attack?
0: Yeah. And that plus the ability to see the move order, I actually find myself for the first time ever in any JRPG. Uh, using defend as like a viable strategy is like, okay, I can see exactly where they're going to be in the move order and I'm getting, what are they called? They're called boost points, right? Is the BP. Yeah. 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 And I get an extra boost point. So like, I know that they're going to move, you know, two slots down the line, but when I get to them again, I'm going to be able to attack four times and like just destroy this thing. Yeah.
1: And if you like that strategy, it's good that you chose Tressa first because she can, donate BP to other characters yeah and she can this is an ability called sidestep where she 100% dodges the next attack yeah uh physical attack so yeah there's a lot to really love there and if you like uh, there's always a new element added to it so any fan of like a strategy game or any kind of like more strategic turn-based combat will will love this game yeah yeah and what uh what who are you using in your party right now like what classes have you gravitated towards
0: so I have Tressa the merchant, um I have Primrose the dancer. I have uh who oh the apothecary, who what is his name? Alf Alf Alfin. something. Alfin. 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 Yeah. and I have uh Ulbrick who is like the straight up warrior. That's awesome.
1: And what I like about that too is that and this is sort of just my observation, but I think there are a lot of characters that like Ulbrick fits a very traditional role. Of, like he's the tank physical damage guy. Yeah. But then you have the Huntress who's sort of that role, but a bit more complicated and, and requiring a bit more work. Yep. The Apothecary is slowly becoming my favorite class, um, but it requires a lot of experimentation. But yeah. if you play around with his concoctability. He literally or whoever is equipped as the apothecary has the ability to use any elemental attack.
0: Yeah. Wait, explain, explain how concoct works, because it took me a while to like kind of wrap my <laughs> head around it. But it is it is not cool. explained
1: at all. Um, no. But there's always like this happens in every uh, JRPG where like you go through like they explain the basics of combat, but then there's like one big thing no one ever explains. And it's usually yeah. like the best thing in the game. Yeah. So, uh, Alfin, and that's the other thing too, um, this is a quick side point. Um, Mm. while you can equip subclasses later on, characters still retain certain things that no one else can do. So Mm. only Alfin can do concoct. Um, I think only Hanit can do like beast summoning, Mm -hmm. but, and only, uh, Therion can steal from the purple chests and such. Mm. Anyway, uh, so concoct is you have these items that are like seeds or dust and they vary in potency. Um, Basically seeds target one character and dust targets all. Um, And you can, uh, it's like, I don't know, soothing dust to target the party and like noxious dust or something negative for the enemies. Um, And then you just go through your items and it's all question marks. So you kind of have to, once you try it, it will show you exactly what it does. And they, they, for healing purposes they heal a ton and it's really really effective for yeah. damage it hardly does any damage but it breaks their shields so he uh and he also has a giant axe that does a ton of damage so he's just the about is really good i yeah, don't know it's, like, a, it's
0: an absolutely like bizarre class it that I super enjoy so uh on on your point about how some of the characters kind of like fit classic roles i actually looked into this a bit they did this really really smart thing where no matter who you start with and what direction you go in, by the time you have your party filled up with, with four characters, they will each fill a kind of specific role. But they are also set up in the inverse of one another. So the warrior like if you are sorry, if you start with like the merchant on the exact opposite side of the map. So technically the last person that you would get to if you just went around in order is the other person who fits the same role as the merchant which is I think a really brilliant thing but also each of them is either the classic version of that role in a, in a classic JRPG party or a kind of spin off like experimental version of that yeah, same thing which exactly. is brilliant. it's a really smart so it's, you just have like four classic characters and four like it's 2018 and we're going to experiment with this genre of characters <laughs> which is yeah. it's awesome and I love that and
1: and you can even you know if you are attached to a character outside of like their battle reasons, you can still make them experimental with the multi classing, which yeah. is really cool. It's a great game. Um, I, I'm liking it more and more as I go through. And I, I, I will say that, like, I think a lot of people were expecting this to be like the new final fantasy six and it isn't, it's just not. Yeah. Um, so don't expect that. Don't expect the plot to be like Kef goes back and we all got to unite against him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I like that too. There's a place for that, but I I think you're right where it does become sort of the default for a game like this. And right. um, I enjoy the vignettes. Uh, They vary wildly in quality and in content. (laughs) There's also party banter that's unlocked later on that, which I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. I kind of wish they, they had that in the first chapter because like, it's just a nice recognition that these characters are together. I don't need them to have like super strong reasons to, Be in a traveling party, but like it's just nice for Alpha to be like, hey, I was also there in that scene when I was invisible. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's just it just kind of helps the suspension of disbelief a little bit to have that banter. Right. So that's nice. It's a nice touch. And yeah, that again, that that theme of just helping people for the sake of it is apparent throughout. And I think that that's really nice. I,
0: I like that a lot yeah it's an incredibly wholesome conceit for an entire game to be based off of, yeah, exactly, and that you never really know what's happening, like
1: even these townspeople who are there to just be stolen from or use the summons have their mm-hmm. stories too, you know, yeah, um, and the side quests well aren't they're not really super compelling, which is kind of disappointing because I usually love side quests um they're there to also drill that point where like you know you might. Help someone like there's a guy in uh, Cyrus's town who's like I need to bake a cake fit for a king and then of course with Tressa you could buy all these ingredients for a cake and mm-hmm. then he's like oh do you help me thank you so much like it's a silly little moment but the action stops to kind of highlight those moments and it's like oh this is what the game's about cool
0: yeah I I do think each so they're called path actions each person in, in the game or each party member in the game has their own like version of a path action and I love those i think they're like super either goofy or really compelling so like Ulbrich is uh this like classic warrior type guy and his path action is a challenge to a duel so you can literally (laughs) just go around to any person in the town and just challenge them to a duel which is the funniest thing of all time it really is could, i i didn't realize the like pros and cons of doing this as soon as i unlocked it so i went to um i went to primrose's town and i challenged everyone to a duel and now they're all just knocked out indefinitely <laughs> Like they're all just lying <laughs> on the ground uh, i think which they is get back hilarious. up if you go back but yeah what's really
1: weird too is that after the duel like they're on the ground with like you know like stars around
0: their head and they uh-huh. thank you. They're like, thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's, um, I, I, I think the thing that, uh, struck me the most, the thing that I, I found most surprising was, um, I think it's out. Al- yeah. Elfin has the ability to inquire, uh, which is basically just like you're learning about someone's backstory, which is a thing that I would never, ever, ever do in a game. Like I find myself absolutely trying to avoid talking to NPCs that give me nothing in these kinds of games the thing about alfin's inquire ability is that there is a chance that you might get a bonus for that town every time you do it which makes me want to go and do it it's like a really genius way of getting me to do a thing that i hate doing and actually get something rewarding out of it (laughs) and enjoy doing it along the way because you're learning all these little tiny backstories about each person but also it's like oh and they also had information about a hidden item that's like behind this barn
1: Right, and what's interesting too about the path actions is that there's, I think there are four of them essentially, but each character has like a different version of it. So, right, there's like the safe version. So Tressa can buy items from townspeople at uh, usually like at a discounted price. Yep, Alfin can inquire. Uh, Ophelia, the cleric, can guide NPCs and they become summons. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, can duel them. On the flip side of things. Therion can steal from them. Uh Primrose can allure them. Uh Cyrus can scrutinize them, which I think is hilarious, because he's also oh my just God. trying to inquire, but he's so socially inept that it comes off as like aggressive. <laughs> uh and then um uh so steel provoke, uh Scrutinize, and the hunter. Um, the the hunter. One. That's the provoke one. I- I'm hmm. drawing a blank, but those actions all have like a percentage to fail essentially. Um, and if you fail them, your reputation in the town is ruined and you can't do path actions anymore unless you pay like a hefty fee at the tavern. Oh, my God. But yeah. So what's funny about even funnier than Ulbricht's dueling is provoking as the huntress because she's just like, come forth and like unleashes her giant snow leopard at like townspeople. <laughs> they're usually they're usually like, wait, why are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was watching my roommate play, and he started as Therion. So his first three people were Therion, the Huntress, and Cyrus. So Mm. all his actions were like steal, scrutinize, provoke. (laughs) So the whole town was like robbed, dizzy, and had like a really bummer time with Cyrus, where he was like, "Tell me all about yourself." But of course, and like, oh, yeah. I
0: hate this guy. I uh, yeah. So I, I guess the four people that I have in my party right now are kind of like the safe versions of all of those.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder if the because uh, I think Primrose like only certain characters can be guided by Affilia, but Primrose can allure like almost everybody. It seems some, like anyone. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and you can see how powerful a townsperson is and like what percent you're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. All all the path actions are super funny. And that's a That's something about this era of RPGs that is missing in newer games that like that sense of humor that comes from just the bizarre scenarios. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. It's the path actions are a really nice touch. It also reminds me a bit of uh, Paper Mario where your uh, side of characters had like actions to use outside of combat that would help you get through
0: areas. Yeah. Can I get really in the weeds about one thing specifically that please. I really like about this game? Please, it please, is, please, This is like the, as in the weeds as you could possibly get. I'm excited. There is a, uh, move that you can unlock for primrose. That's called bewildering grace. Uh, huh. do you have it? Yeah, I do. Do you use it all the time? Uh yeah, especially
1: if I'm if I'm grinding cuz yes. Well, I'll let you make your point first.
0: Yeah, so the Grace, I did not know what it was, but I I was it is the first thing that I unlocked for her because I was just <laughs> like so curious about it. <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny though. That was the first move you got. I I thought it was like so interesting. So basically what she does is she just dances and it has a random effect and I was like, I don't know what effects could possibly exist in this game, so I'm curious to see what they are. I now find myself basically delaying all of Primrose's moves unless like i can just use her dagger to like break a shield or something just until i have enough boost points to be able to use bewildering grace four times in a row because (laughs) the actions are absurd like some of them are like oh it's just like a mist that forms over the party and they can't use any of their spells which sucks some of them are like i'm gonna boost all of the attack as you would expect that's like a classic like random move but some of them are experience gains, like experience multipliers. And some yeah. of them are job points multipliers. And job points allow you to unlock more moves. Um, And I found out that the experience gain one can go up to times 1,000. <laughs> I did not know that. That's yeah. incredible. So basically, every single time I'm in battle, I make sure that I do the four times bewildering grace just on the off chance I get the, the <laughs> t- times 1,000 experience thing. But it is like absolutely goofy like, some of them will just like put an enemy to sleep uh some of them will restore all of your health and mana some of them will uh break all of the shields i think of all of the enemies what what was the one like really wild one one of them uh, the- everyone tripped and couldn't use items it, like, yes set-
1: <laughs> which i love that i love that um, image.
0: oh there's one that summons a boss Oh my God. That's I don't know hilarious. if you've seen that. There's one. There, so there's two kinds of summons that happen. One of them is it'll summon just like a random like thing to help you out. And it's usually like a giant scary boss that will just like annihilate everything it just yeah. like it does like ten thousand damage to every enemy that's on the field um but sometimes it'll be a little tiny enemy that will come and heal all of the other enemies instead oh no yeah it reminds me a lot of um i'm not sure if you got to this point in final fantasy
1: 6 but there's sort of the old school gambler class i absolutely did not get there in
0: final oh, fantasy oh gotcha
1: well yeah the in some of the old school rpgs there's a gambler class who has a move that's basically that where they, like, they roll a dice or like there's a slot machine yeah and depending on what you get it could either be like like i think final fantasy 7 kate sith had a gambler-ish move and one of them was like the grim reaper just shows up and like kills your party basically <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um it's a really funny thing because that's definitely i think primrose in terms of experimental classes is probably the most out there class because mm-hmm. she's kind of like a thief in terms of her stats and like her dagger and such but then she can like buff the party um, using dances, which is yeah. really helpful. And she has dark magic and then bewildering grace mm-hmm. uh, now. And I had her I multiclassed her as a thief. So now she can actually use buffs and debuffs, which is kind of cool. Oh, um, that's sick. Yeah. And what I like, too, is that so, you know, you kind of get used to hearing the characters dialogue when they use a move. Yeah, um, but they all have dialogue for the other classes' moves as well, which is pretty great. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, so that was a really nice touch.
0: I feel I every time I play that game, I am amazed because Old sounds exactly like you. M- me? Yeah, <laughs> I always imagine you doing the VO for Old I can uh, Cyrus. I like his voice a lot because he's
1: the most Oblivion of everyone.
0: Yeah, I have not gotten to. I just oh. got to his city last night, uh, and then I went to sleep. He, he kind of has so his ability is sort of the like riskier version
1: of elephants where he can scrutinize people. Right. And he does it to be like a wannabe detective, basically. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's a point his like catchphrases. He goes, but of course, whenever he yeah. solves a mystery, it's it's really good. <laughs> I love it. He's uh, also great because he the battle starts. This is something that's unique to Cyrus, but. He uh, passively finds a random weakness for every enemy as the battle begins. Just yeah,
0: like, you mentioned that to me. That is the reason that I diverted my course, because I was going the opposite way around the map. Uh, he was going to be the last person I picked up, and then you mentioned that to me. So I literally just went the reverse way. So Yeah, now I'm my way he's to him. great.
1: His spells also hit every enemy by default, which is he's pretty Ooh. good. Yeah. And he also allows you
0: to see their health bars, which I am excited about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which just drills the point of how much
0: health every enemy has in this game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is unbelievable.
0: Especially the bosses. I was going to go to sleep last night at like one o'clock and I got into a random battle uh, just like out in the wilderness. And it was this like big turtle thing that took me, I swear to God, a half an hour to beat like this random enemy that just spawned out in the wilderness. Not even like a boss or whatever.
1: There's also like a lot of really cool optional dungeons that pop up if you like veer from the course a bit. Um, yeah, it'll tell you they're usually like higher level depending on where you are, but they have, um, you can find really good items at the end of them. And there's usually like a really tough boss, but they're like when bosses are hard in this game, they're fun, they're still like really fun, they're interesting and challenging. They're not totally. just like, oh, I have to level up. It's like, oh, I just have to like rethink my strategy.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I do find myself, um, really enjoying combat even in those kinds of scenarios there's only one battle so far that i had to just like leave because it was just taking too long <laughs> uh, which was a side quest one in primrose's town you know what i'm talking about oh the duel the neer Dwell duel yeah you have to you have to duel yeah. a drunk guy outside <laughs> outside the dancer's He's house impossible
1: there's also a neer do who's like bothering a townsperson and you can challenge him to a duel to help her out Mm. and his he has two moves one is like a very powerful attack and one is putting you to sleep which is the most annoying thing oh no yeah but there is an item that prevents going to sleep so i'd recommend getting that before doing that duel Ah, so interesting there you go but yeah there's (laughs) every for some reason every drunk townsperson is extremely powerful in this game (laughs) Uh, i've I've noticed a recurring theme
0: yeah i uh yeah i i absolutely love it it's interesting because i i just I just played through all of Hollow Knight like last week um, or two weeks ago, and that is the first game in a long time where it was like I found myself constantly thinking about playing Hollow Knight. All I wanted to do was play Hollow Knight. I put off everything else that I needed to or wanted to do just so I could play Hollow Knight. And I played like maybe 40 or 50 hours of that game and like hun- completed everything. I did every single thing in that game. And I was like, wow, that's an experience I don't have very often where I really feel compelled to do that. Um, that hasn't happened to me since like maybe Fez came yeah. out and I find myself, it's so weird to immediately jump to another game where it's like, all I want to do is play Octopath Traveler. Even yeah. though it is absolute, like Hollow Knight makes sense because Hollow Knight is a Metroidvania that is inspired by Dark Souls and that is absolutely my shit. That is all of the things I love melded into one game. Octopath yeah. is the antithesis of everything I like about video <laughs> games and all I want to do is play it.
1: On a on a vain level, I, I hope that that's microcosmic of our friendship, too. Because, like, <laughs> <laughs> while playing Octopath, I was like, man, someone has my number. Because, like, this is just, like... Yeah. And I, I think that's why it's selling so well, is that for someone like me who grew up with, like, that era of RPGs, it's, like, a dream come true. And for someone like you, who, like, has kind of, you know, watched this genre from a distance, it's inviting somehow. Because um, yeah. it does avoid a lot of the tropes that come with the package
0: yeah i i feel like this this is a little bit like cosmic in a weird way but like i feel like with final fantasy and with all the other jrpgs that i've tried in the past it's always been like we have to make these games because they're like long-standing franchises and it's like okay we just have to make a final fantasy 13 so here we go let's let's see what it's going to be this time and you look at interviews with the developers of octopath And they're just like, we just wanted to make a game that we've always wanted to play. Yeah. And it's a completely new IP. It's a completely new thing. Yeah. And it just feels like a love letter to the entire genre by taking what was great about every other iteration across every franchise and just like kind of melding it all and like inventing new things to kind of like kind of ease the flow a little bit better
1: and for on, on like a role playing angle and on a, a story angle. Cause you know, we've talked about this sort of like inconsistent often laughably bad, uh, voice acting and writing Yeah, the moments where it does really work and it's like really compelling and good. Um, overall I'm enjoying it regardless, but I think there's something to be said for the lack of ensemble dialogue and the lack of an overarching, like big bad, um, letting the player kind of fill in the blanks a bit and sort of like uh yeah I think I think the feeling people are getting with Octopath is what happens to a lot of games of D&D where everyone's like wait why are we together like why are we you know what we made all these characters separately like why are we together and I definitely felt that in the beginning which is why I I wish the party banter was earlier Mm. but again like I, I I'm growing fond of the idea of like I chose Primrose first and I kind of have in my head, like what is sort of leading this adventure. Yeah. Whereas my friend and roommate uh, started as Therion, They're both characters that I think are not as predispositioned to help people the same way, like Tressa or Alphen would be right. But they, you know, their setup for their plot is very personal. And I think that like, it's cool to see, like, to think like what, like what's the change from Primrose, then to now in terms of like her ability to like trust other people after such a traumatic experience. Mm. So I like that it kind of lets you decide that. Um and I, yeah. and I think that that feels purposeful. I think they all work as protagonists. I think the one that would probably be the weirdest to start with is the, the Hunter, huntress. Yeah. Most, yeah. Mostly because I, I, I found like I think her village is really cool. And I enjoyed the scene with like her and her uh mentor and their respective beasts. I thought that was kind of funny. But the Middle English is a bit much. As a lot, I mean, a lot of people have been talking oh, did about that. Does she speak that. with
0: Middle English? Oh, have you not got to No, I, yet. Haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Every
1: sentence is like "bring forth" and and "seeketh." Like it's like to a like one thousandth degree of Middle English. Like there's there not is, o- there's not one word that doesn't have "en" or like "if" on the end of it.
0: There is something. That I really like about the idea of like a kind of relegated to the forest beast tamer having Old English speak. I think that's like oh, yeah. speaking in a more proper way than anyone else.
1: I, I like it. I, I just mean more in terms of uh, starting with her, because then you might be like, oh no, is this the whole game? Like, don't tell me. Like, everyone's <laughs> like this. You can also change, if, if the voices are too campy for uh, someone, you could change them to Japanese, which I've done just out of experimentation.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you like it? Because I was also toying around with that idea.
1: I I think it lets you. I mean, just because I I don't know Japanese, I feel like it lets me like focus more on on the text and like I'm less distracted by the voices, good or bad. Mm -hmm. But I've kind of grown fond of the of the English voice because I started with that. So, yeah, I would say the Japanese voices are probably better, but I just like I have been enjoying the cheesiness of some moments of the. I also have a theory that every child in the English voice acting is actually a fully grown person. Just pitched down a bit. (laughs) I,
0: (laughs) yeah, I think I agree with
1: you. Have you done the cleric story yet? Uh, no. Oh my God. Not, it's not a spoiler, but at one point there's a kid in a church crying and it (laughs) sounds like a grown man going like, (laughs) like, (laughs) it is the most I've belly laughed like in my entire life. Uh, I'm very excited. I, I think, uh, it's cool that that option exists and you can switch it off at any time.
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, just to wrap up, Octopath Traveler, it's a wonderful game. I, uh, apparently, if you like JRPGs or if you don't like JRPGs, uh, you should probably <laughs> get it anyway, regardless yeah, I, of how you feel about the genre.
1: I'd love to check in again next week and, and see how you feel like once you get to chapter two and and where I Definitely. end up with it. I think everyone has four chapters. I think that's the way it works. Mm, it seems like cool. the whole game is built around the number eight. So,
0: yeah, um, very cool. Nice, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, also, eventually, to talk about other Switch games when you get to them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious going into Zelda, how you feel about it. Um, having heard what you've probably heard over the past year. Well, it's kind of tragic because I, my roommate had a Wii U, so
1: we had Zelda when it came out. Oh right, I forgot you, you played some of it already. I played like, I want to say, ten hours of it, and I really, really loved it. But then his Wii U like stopped working essentially, or mm. like certain quests the disc would be like unable to be read and it was like this is hell this is yeah. like sisyphus Zelda experience <laughs> that is how you should play that game yeah so now i'm i uh just real quick i'm up to uh, you can go at your own pace in that but i'm just getting to zoro's domain right now after okay. having done like a bit of the side quests and stuff
0: all right. Well, we'll have to we'll have to talk about it yeah, more next a whole week. Yeah, that's other episode. But. I I definitely played that game in an absolutely like bonkers <laughs> way. Like, well, as um, someone
1: who starts with bewildering grace, I think you have often chosen <laughs> the, the more chaotic path.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh. So so let's talk about that more next week. Uh. But for that is that is it for this episode of Into the Aether. Uh. This is maybe the first episode officially. Yeah. Maybe. So if it is, welcome. Uh there are a couple other test episodes that you can go back and listen to, uh if you if you feel like listening to those. And if you're uh worried that we don't mention Oblivion
1: in every episode, don't worry, because we do. Oh uh, yeah. You mentioned it in this episode. I
0: did. And you I did. didn't even realize it until now. <laughs> 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 yeah um, I, I put that in I don't know if you if you saw that I put that in the description of our podcast Digi- yeah it's a video game podcast where we try and avoid talking about it
1: <laughs> well so, so far so
0: good I guess uh, hey my name is Brendan Bigley thank you so much for listening you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley and uh, I'm Stephen Hilger on Twitter I'm at Stephen Hilger Stephen with a
1: PH nice nice cool talk to you next week bye friends goodbye
0: WG the worst garbage dot online